Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello and welcome to another Wessex LMCs podcast. My name is Laura Edwards. I'm a GP and one of the joint CEOs of Wessex LMCs. And today we're going to be talking about learning disabilities. And I'm absolutely delighted that Dr. Gemma Langman is joining us today. Hi, Gemma. Hi there, Laura. Nice to be here again. Absolutely. So you talked to us recently about autism and anyone who's missed that, there's a great podcast uh, on autism. Uh, But today we're talking about learning disabilities and um, Gemma is the clinical champion for learning disability and autism for the Hampshire and Isle of Wight ICB and she's a GP who practices in Hampshire. Um, And last time uh, you shared with us that you uh, have lived experience that uh, both of your children are neurodiverse, um, but uh, your role covers uh, both uh, neurodiversity or autism is actually focused on isn't it in the role again showing perhaps the our narrow scope of thinking on this at the moment um, and learning disability so we wanted to bring you a, a discussion uh, and a bit more awareness and, and hopefully increase our understanding understanding and confidence around learning disabilities um, so first of all can you explain to us Gemma what do we mean what is there a definition of a learning disability So a learning disability is defined by three core criteria um, by the World Health Organization. Firstly, there needs to be a lower intellectual ability, which is usually defined as an IQ of less than 70. In addition, there needs to be significant impairment of adaptive or social functioning. And also, crucially, there needs to be the onset of the learning disability in childhood. It needs to be remembered that a learning disability is different from a learning difficulty, such as dyslexia or dyspraxia. However, people with a learning disability may have one or more learning difficulties, but learning difficulties are very separate to a learning disability. We also need to consider the diversity of ranges um, with people with a learning disability. They can range from mild, moderate, severe or profound, and so functioning can vary hugely. Some people may need daily supervised support for care with very limited communication skills, whereas others may be able to manage basic self-care, practical activities and live and work relatively independently and maybe with some additional support. Learning disability isn't very easy to recognise in primary care um, unless an LD diagnosis has already been made. I want you guys to remember that the LD team are there um, for advice and guidance and to provide any diagnoses or queries about diagnoses. So remember to utilise our LD teams as much as possible wherever there's there's doubt. Some tips that um, you might consider um, for the, if you're considering learning disability in someone who hasn't already got a diagnosis um, are as follows. But remembering that these rules um, or tips aren't explicit um, and because there's just so much variation across the population. Firstly, um, one thing to consider is whether or not someone can drive or not. Um, it's pretty unlikely that someone with a learning disability would be able to pass the written and practical tests involved in, in learning to drive. Again, it's not a, a written law, um, but if, if someone um, can drive, then that makes a learning disability less likely. Obviously, you have to consider someone's education as well. Um, you know, if someone cannot read and write, learning disability could be a possibility. 
However, there are plenty of people out there with a learning disability that are literate. And equally, there are uh, people out there who are illiterate that don't have a learning disability. So as with all of these things, it's never clear cut. Um, And if there's any doubt, then please do get in contact with your local learning disability service. Okay. Okay, so that's helpful. And and we, we sort of we started this conversation today uh, really as a result of the Oliver McGowan uh, training, which is coming in. So do you want to just briefly tell us who Oliver McGowan was, how he relates to this conversation? Yeah, so Oliver McGowan um, was a young lad with a learning disability and autism. Um, and unfortunately, um, through the leader review, his death was deemed avoidable. Um, and he um, died within the care of, of the NHS. And any of you who haven't heard Oliver's story, you can go online and listen to his mum, Paula, tell it because it's 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 a profound and moving story. And, and his death um, was tragic and should never have happened. But what his death did do was highlight how limited Uh, training we get as clinicians, doctors, nurses, all of us working in the NHS, get very limited training in um, people who have a learning disability and or autism. And so the training has come in because it was felt that if the staff around Oliver had been better trained to understand his, his needs and his diversities, then perhaps his death would have been made more avoidable. And so it is mandatory that um, clinicians in the NHS do receive training on learning disability and autism. Um, the Oliver McGowan training is there if, if when it starts up, if and when you want to use it, but we don't have to use the Oliver McGowan training. Um, and so part of the reason why we've set up these podcasts today um, is that you can say you've had a little bit of training on, on, on um, learning disability and if you listen to the other one on autism. Brilliant. Okay, so we've covered a definition now and kind of why we're having this conversation. So what do we need to know, Gemma? What do we need to be thinking about as as clinicians and generally in life? Because again, you know, out in the big world, we meet people all the time who may have learning disabilities. So what should we be aware of? What should we be thinking about? So I think, and I apologise to the audience in advance for for making stereotypical and and wide um, accusations, and it's not this, but I think lots of people, not just clinicians, but general people in the general public can be quite fearful of people with a learning disability. They're not sure how to communicate with that person. They're not sure what they should should or shouldn't do with that person. And I think actually as clinicians um, and, and as GPs, Actually, we do this all the time. When someone comes in, we do change our um, the style in which we we deliver a, a, a consultation, given the cues that we find. And I am not for one minute making this direct comparison, but a good a, a good um, a good analogy to this is if a, if a child walks in the room. So if a child walks in the room, I would say the gold standard of of consultation would be to acknowledge that child um, before you acknowledge the parent. To, to make sure that the child is part of the, the consultation and to try to interact with that child in the way that they would want to interact. So if they come in and they've got a Peppa Pig t-shirt on, I say, oh, brilliant, you love Peppa, do you love better? Who do you love better, Peppa or George? And I'll say something like, do you want to tell me why you've been here or do you want mummy or daddy to tell me? And Or if mummy or daddy get anything wrong, you tell me straight away. And I will always go back to the child and I will make eye contact with mum and dad, but I'll go back to the child and, and smile and make sure that they realise that I'm nice and friendly. Um, 
because that way I get a better consultation when it comes to me having to jam things in down their throat and into their ears. They feel that they can trust me a little bit, bit better than that stern person who ignored me and is now coming towards me quite scary. And so if someone walks in um, um, or gets wheeled in with a learning disability into your consultation room, I would acknowledge that person. That person is an, in, is an individual there. Never make assumptions about someone with a learning disability um, that they um, that they can't communicate with you or they won't communicate with you or they don't understand what you're saying. Um, in the same way anybody else, it's rude apart from anything else. Um, it's incredibly rude and, and we're better than that. And so it's about, you know, acknowledging the person that walks in the room and then thinking about how best to, to communicate with that person. Now, it might be that it is best to communicate with the carer, but you want to make sure that you're going back to that person again. Now, one thing that in my ICB that we're going to send out hopefully soon is something called a sensory box that we're sending out. Um, and within there, it's going to have um, things like ear defenders, fidget toys, things that might make somebody with um, who are neuro neurodiverse and or with a learning disability feel better and feel more comfortable. In the same way, we'd hand a teddy bear to, to a child that makes that child feel comforted. Um, in the same way, my weighted blanket makes me feel comforted if I'm at home. Um, things like fidget toys can be, can be very um, useful for people who are neurodiverse and or have a learning disability. But in that pack as well, we're also sending out communication cards because what we want to do is make sure that that person can communicate because whilst we can use a carer, Again, a good analogy is we're all now aware that rather than having a family member um, interpret for us, which is the quickest and easiest thing for us to do, that family member is in control of the consultation with the person who's in front of you. Um, we know that we should actually use an interpretive service so that the, we know exactly what that person is, is or isn't saying. And that's exactly the same with the learning disability in a carer. If you're only listening to what the carer says, the person with a learning disability might be sitting there thinking, that's not right. That carer's, got, you know, my mum, my dad, my carer's got that wrong. And so it's about giving people the opportunity to be able to let their, their voice be heard. And so communication cards are brilliant in that you can have them simple, which is you can have things like stop, I don't understand, yes, I, I have pain. Or you can have things like the pain scale, which, again, you can use with children in terms of, you know, how bad is the pain? You can show someone a picture of the body and say, where is the pain? You point to it for me and you show me where your pain is. Um, it, it's about giving um, autonomy back to that person. Um, because, And I think another thing to, for us to consider in this conversation is, is capacity. Um, capacity of the person with the learning disability. And I guess we, we all know, or we should know, that capacity is a fluid thing. Now, I, my children, for example, have capacity to tell me whether they want sausages for dinner or not. They do not have capacity to, to be able to tell me whether or not they know whether their appendix needs to be removed or not. Okay. And so you can have capacity for some things, but not capacity for others. And that's the same whether you're a child or whether you're an adult and whether you have a learning disability or not. Um, and so you must, must assume the person in front of you has capacity until proven otherwise. And I think as clinicians... Um, some of us at times presume that if someone has a learning disability, they don't have capacity. And I think that's one of the first errors that we, we can turn around today um, is that we must assume that the person in front of us has capacity until proven, proven otherwise. And as I say, it's a fluid thing. Um, they might not have the capacity to be able to tell you whether or not they need an operation, but they certainly would have the capacity to tell you whether or not they wanted um, blood taken from their arm or not. Mm -hmm. 
I think I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there of why we find this hard. It's, again, it's they're all individuals and there is no there's no box of of learning disability. It's actually it's actually a huge range of things that are kind of put together under that one label. And as you said, people then also fluctuate um, according to the environment that they're in and the situation they're in and the day that it is, which means again in our kind of cookie cutter, although we try not to, but our cookie cutter 10 minute appointment cram everybody in because there's so much demand and we're running as fast as we can in the hamster wheels it's it's really hard for us to um have the time and space for us to process ourselves and adapt and think and um and weigh up these really quite difficult decisions of do we think that person has capacity to make this decision or not? Am I seeing them at their full potential of what they can do, given we've kind of rushed them in through a crowded waiting room and, you know, they've sat somewhere, got stressed, they're in an unfamiliar environment and there's a stranger, a.k.a. me or you, talking to them. Um, and, and then you're potentially asking them to make what is, again, because of medicine and how it is, quite a complex decision potentially of weighing up things that uh, again we're not paternalistic we try not to be paternalistic now that is a risk benefit rather than doctor says you must do bye bye out of the consultation room type thing and that's that can be with all of those factors um, again recognizing that people will have potentially multiple health conditions as they walk in or are wheeled in the room um, to try and put all together is is really hard isn't it and I think um, one place where we, you know, as GPs can, um, what we can utilise is the annual health check. Okay. Uh, and I think that, um, I mean, I can sit here and preach to you guys what an annual health check should be. Um, and um, it's, I would imagine, beyond the scope of what most of us can achieve. Um, um, but a, an annual health check is key in terms of not just preventing um, medical conditions that that um, or problems that might happen, but also it's key to learning about the patient that's in front of you. And so I know that across the patch, um, there are lots of people that get their nurses to do their annual health checks. Something that the the, um, the annual health check asks is reasonable adjustments for that patient, um, and we should ask about reasonable adjustments um, for that for any patients that um, have a learning disability that that come to us. And so with that, we can use that on EMIS or System 1 to think about what is good for that patient. So it might be that that patient is better having a home visit. It might be that patient needs to wait in a side room rather than the waiting room. It might be that you can put on there, patient um, likes to be involved in the conversation. Patient likes to use cue cards. Patient um, might need sensory box. But it doesn't necessarily mean that us as GPs need to do the hard work first. It's about us communicating between us as, as the primary care team. Um, and I think that's what um, a good annual health check can do is can help us throughout the rest of the year know how to communicate and how to get the best out of ourselves and the patient that sat in front of us if they have a learning disability. Um, and so as a, a top tip today, that's what I would recommend is, is whoever does your annual health checks, think about those, um, those reasonable adjustments for that patient and those communication tools that we, you would use 
and put them on the notes so that when you go into that patient, it hits you straight away in that in that kind of warning system that we get. This patient um, likes to use Makaton. This patient likes to use the sensory box. And then, you know, before they walk through the door and you think, OK, you may not know how to use Makaton. You may not know that you've got a sensory box, but you can think about, OK, how can I adapt what I'm doing, what I'm going to do today to best help that patient? Absolutely. Um, that's what we can do. Yeah, and I guess the Makaton, potentially their carer will understand Makaton. Therefore, you could start to say, although you can't communicate directly, and again, you know, again, limitations of real world, but um, you could potentially, as a as a kind of intermediate step, ask the carer to ask the um, person what what they feel or, you know, around a, a decision to, to try and get the, the input and their involvement in that way, as you say, rather than, they're just being kind of silence or you ignoring them um, in the consultation. So that's that's I agree. I think that's one of the things I found the hardest is is I know to recognize these people as individuals, but it's really difficult to set the level having never met them before uh, without being either patronizing or, or you know, or getting it wrong. So it, it's just hard in the time you've got to get to know somebody um, and meet them at their level. It's, it, it, you feel, uh, you feel on the back foot. And I think, and I think sometimes the best thing in those situations is is honesty. Um, another instance where where I use this is is you know I'm I don't get things right in terms of non-binary trans. Um, you know that 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 world is is I know it's important, but it's it's new to me. So I'm just honest with the people that come through, and I say I'm going to get things wrong here, um, but I want to get to know you and get it right. So if I make a mistake, just let me know. Um, you know, just you know, showing that you're a human being that you know, because we're not infallible, we are humans, us doctors. Um, you know, and I think just showing that bit of honesty to the carer and the patient and say, I might get this wrong today, you let me know. Um, you know, and if I do something wrong, tell me. Um, because otherwise you're not going to to learn. Um, and you know, we we learn best from our mistakes, unfortunately, and, and that is the case. And we're never gonna get it right um every time, unfortunately. No, but I, I think, think that's a really good tip, actually, is, is to put that out there first, isn't it? And then mm. that allows the two-way communication rather than them sitting there getting increasingly cross that you're doing something, but they haven't been given permission to to um, to, to correct you. Because, again, that's an awkward social interaction, isn't it? Um, and I think so. just, just sitting down with someone and saying, I've not met you before. I'm not sure, you know, how best do we do this this consultation? Um, you know, is it talk to you? Is it talk to carer? You know, how can I help you today? It will take a few seconds for that to be the case. In the same way someone walked in and they and they were deaf, you know, you would say, can you lip read? Or do I need to write? Or if any of you are lucky enough to be able to sign, it, it's the same thing that you would do there, um, it, you know, but to just sit there and go, can you hear me? is not the right approach to do is it so but we but we know that but we find it yeah. difficult to have these conversations like you say they're they're not they're not easy yeah. um to have but i would also recommend to anybody that has never done a learning um an annual health check for a learning disability patient when you've got that two minutes to yourself which obviously we all do all the time no sarcasm there at all um but if you could have a look at the national template for the annual health check that will give you a little idea of the breadth of what we're dealing with with someone has a learning disability sitting in front of you because actually if we're doing it properly we are asking about diet but we're also asking about um their toileting needs, we're asking about their mobility needs. And if I have someone in front of me who's actually 
working. They have a learning disability, but they have a job. I often joke with them and say, I've got to ask you this, these silly questions again, but I know what the answer is. Do you go to the toilet yourself? And, do you, and they go, of course I do. And we make a joke of it. But then I have patients who are in homes who cannot care for themselves. And so that is the breadth of what we're dealing with it here. It isn't one size fits all. Um, and it's making that assumption that if someone has a learning disability, that they don't have anything to give to society. And what I would say is even the, the, my patients that are in those homes, they have so much to actually offer to society. Um, and they don't want to be seen as necessarily seen as, you know, oh, you poor thing. They're a human being in their own right and they they can make decisions and they have something to give um and it's about showing people respect um apart from anything else and treating them with respect yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more and we've um we've tried to uh, encourage the annual health check within our area so if you're in the wessex lmc's area do have a look on our website you can type in annual health check and we've got a dedicated page on there going through the whole thing and um, and i think as we've described a, a lot of it actually you can do before the actual appointment and it starts before the appointment because again if you're sending out a letter that's written uh, for an, I an IQ level that is normal potentially you're missing something already of how you're going to engage that patient um, and again if you can um, again realising everybody wants a champion for everything um, but uh, it can be really helpful if you have a member of your admin team who you perhaps um, make a champion around this who gets a little bit more time and a little bit of chance to individualize the process for people of how you invite them um, and who you're inviting are you sending the invite to the person or to a carer um, and what resources do you include around that um, invitation so again on our website we've got loads of stuff around that, that can be included in easy read uh, style and formats and videos um, that can be shared with people um, so that they know where they're coming um, and then we've also got stuff on there around the templates that you can do and describes as Gemma said the kind of full uh, breadth of what of what is being done um, so we've got all of that on there um, and we've put everything in place um, so that you can have a little look and it may be worth thinking um, because they are an opportunity and for once they are something that is funded and funded to quite a reasonable um, level um, so uh, it really is worth having a look at what your practice is doing are you maximizing that opportunity uh, both for you and, and for the patient as well um, so do have a look on that on our website. Um, and I was in last final point, which hopefully won't happen. And again, you know, if we're doing these health checks um, and, and offering care, again, recognising the limitations of the current system. Um, but there is something you mentioned called the leader review. And um, I, I wondered if you could just touch on that. What, what is that and kind of how does that relate to this conversation? Yeah, so the leader review is is a national process that that goes on, but then um, it's taken down to to the individual individual um, sort of areas. Um, but leader gets involved when there are um, deaths that happen in the learning disability and and or autistic community, um, and there are committees that are involved to looking through all the cases and seeing what mistakes were made um, and what learning can come can come from what, what we call a, le a leader review um, 
And something that always comes out of the leader reviews is, is that a good annual health check goes a massive way to avoiding poorer outcomes for people with a learning disability. Unfortunately, people who have a learning disability have poorer health outcomes and they have a much lower death rate um, than the general population. Higher, higher, probably higher death rate. Sorry, a higher death rate. Yes, sorry, and I meant a lower death age is what I meant. Yeah, absolutely. A higher death rate um, and a lower death age than the general population. Um, And we know that a good annual health check can go um, a long way to try and prevent that from happening um, because one, we can screen for things like cancer by checking breast testicles and offering smears, but also there are simple things like asking about swallowing and avoiding an aspiration pneumonia and constipation, which is unfortunately a massive killer in the learning disability community. Um, and they are two simple questions that we could ask someone in annual health review that actually might go a long way to one, improving their quality of life, but also preventing an early death, um, which would be otherwise easily avoidable. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I think um, in this area, reflecting what you said, we picked up during COVID um, around uh, people in learning disability homes. They were not included in the first um, bit of at risk of COVID and the first vaccination wave. And we lobbied really hard that they should be. Um, and that was eventually taken up nationally. But that came from this area um, geographically that we pushed for that. Um, so, um, again, that's just sort of bringing it all together, really, that we are advocating for this um this population aren't we in our in our roles we can make a big difference doesn't always feel like it but we really can so thank you so much for joining us today Gemma um that's been really insightful and helpful and some things for us to think about um and again just a, a shout out to look at our webpage we'll put the link onto the uh, podcast summary so that people can find that most more easily or just find it via uh, your search engine or on our website Um, And we look forward to the Oliver McGowan training coming out and perhaps us touching base uh, around that once we know more about what that uh, training is going to be. And you can describe that, although that isn't the only training that you have to do. um, We we will be saying, you know, again, it's it's kind of what what comes out and whether that is fit for what your surgery um, needs and is the best thing. Uh, We just have to do some training around autism and learning disability. So this goes some of the way towards that. And then it will be uh, seeing how things will Uh, from there so thank you once again Gemma for joining us we really appreciated your expertise and insight thank you Gemma Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice